0: As it's harris i hope that you've enjoyed these special episodes of the story podcast these past few weeks we're pretty busy planning our upcoming flagship event story 2017. it's a two-day conference taking place on september 21st and 22nd and is once again in the booming city of nashville tennessee these episodes have been glimpses into the magic that takes place at this conference by hearing some of the live talks that took place at last year's gathering whether you've heard these talks before because you are in attendance or you're experiencing them for the first time, they're sure to serve as incredible short bursts of inspiration for your life and your work. If you're interested in joining us for Story 2017, ticket prices go up on Monday, July 31st. So head on over to story2017.com to learn more. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making any anyway.
1: To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work, and we don't get up until it's finished.
0: The only hope
1: we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers.
0: Last year at Story, author, Ted Speaker, and founder of More Love Letters, Hannah Brencher, gave an incredible talk about the creative process. Hannah is known for her talks about sharing the power of words, but at Story, we got to hear about something else that she's passionate about, the process of writing and creating. If you were there or already follow Hannah on her popular blog, then you know that she has a way with words. If you weren't there, I'm so excited for you to experience this talk. Here's Hannah Brencher from the main stage at Story 2016. And be sure to stay tuned after her talk to hear about a special opportunity that we're offering with her.
1: How are you guys? You having a good day? Awesome. Well, my name is Hannah Brencher, and I'm very excited to be up here today talking to you about the creative process of writing. I want to start off first um, by explaining my purpose. I think why I do what I do is the most important thing about what I do, Um, especially since about a year ago, I said that I was never going to be teaching on the process of writing and since then have done five writing intensives and have really found um, my home in teaching about writing. And so... That's just how it works, right? So two years ago, I went on a camping trip with my friend Nia, and we were camping in northern Georgia, which I was pretty sure it does not get cold in Georgia, but I want to tell you, it was the coldest weekend of the year. So both of us, we didn't really know how to camp, we just liked the idea of camping, So we show up, she has this like 1942 World War II tent that we're camping in. We made the mistake of showing up after sunset and so it was already dark and we had one working headlamp. Um, And we bring our stuff out and we come back to the car and then we show back up at the campsite and there is a maglite flashlight sitting in the middle of the campsite. So if anybody watches any kind of horror movies, that's the moment where I was like, it's over. Like somebody is here, somebody has come for us. Come to find out that it was the man at the campsite right next to us. He saw that we had the one headlamp and he thought they're probably going to need some help. This same man came back and he taught us how to build, or he built a fire for us. And he showed up later and he refueled the fire again and then invited us over to his campfire. And the next morning he showed up and he had built the fire for us before we even woke up. So at this point I'm thinking he's probably my soulmate. And he comes back with um, a canister of coffee that he made over his fire. And I swear at this point, I mean, he had two first names. So I thought he was from Touched by an Angel. Like, that's my assumption whenever somebody has two first names. And he's doing all this stuff for us. And then when we went on a hike, very much in Touch by an Angel fashion, he was gone when we came back. So it's like he was never there. And then several hours later, we packed up our stuff and we left too, even though we were supposed to stay a second night. Because what I realized didn't happen in that whole time that we were with this man, he never taught us how to build the fire. He only built the fire for us. And it seemed like a really insignificant part of my life. At the same time, it changed and reordered everything about the way I do what I do. You see, if I stand up on this stage and I inspire you, but I don't teach you how to build a fire, then how are we being effective today? That if we're all so consumed with building our fire and making our fire so big that people wanna come around it, then people are only gonna be walking five minutes that way before they have to come back and get more inspiration. We don't need to be a world full of fire builders, we need to be the ones that teach people how to build fires. And if we can teach people how to build fires, then they can go out and teach more people how to build fires. And I don't know about you, but 2016, it feels a little dark and a little scary sometimes. And so I would definitely say that the world needs a little bit more light. It needs a little bit more fires. And so that's my hope, that while I can inspire today, my hope is that you would see my action steps through all of this. I think that conferences like this are great, but they are in danger of being ineffective if we do not use the steps we get here today to initiate a process that holds us for the long haul. So my name is Hannah Bruncher, and I... Um, I am a writer. My first book came out about a year ago. This was not a journey that I planned to go on, but I graduated from college in 2010, and I moved to New York City for my first job working for a human rights NGO at the United Nations. I thought I was going to be in the career of human rights for five years, ten years, that was my plan. And my first year out of college, I started um, coping with depression. And I say coping because the way that I coped was by picking strangers out of the crowd in New York City and writing them letters, and then ripping those letters out, folding them up, writing on the front of them, if you find this letter, it's for you, and then leaving those letters around New York City. I didn't tell anybody that I was doing this at the time. Thankfully, I didn't tell my mother. She probably would have been like, if you're sad and lonely, you can just come home. You don't need to leave letters around New York City for people to find But I ended up writing a blog post, and I basically said at the end of the blog post, if you need a letter for whatever reason, I will write you one. And I watched my inbox fill up with dozens and dozens of letter requests from people around the world. I spent the next nine months of my life writing over 400 letters to strangers. I built an organization, and that organization went viral. It led to a TED Talk, which led to a book deal, which led to this point of finally stepping into writers room today i'm 28 years old and i am five years past um, starting that company and i spend most of my spare time traveling around the country talking at colleges and universities and then coming back to spend the rest of that time writing i spend the first five hours of every single day writing hopefully anywhere from three to five thousand words And the biggest thing that I have learned about creative process, whether you are a writer or you are um, some other profession in this room, the biggest thing that we have to be willing to do is we have to be willing to get out of our own way. That a lot of times it's fear that will tell you, you can't do this, you can't write this, you can't create this, you can't be a part of this. And we were talking backstage and I was saying that I have a friend who is a cerebral neurologist and he says that we only have two emotions, they are love and they are fear. Everything stems off of that. And so every time I sit down into that writer's chair, I have to be careful that I'm not writing out of fear because people don't need to read my words out of fear. They need to read my words of love. I think that there's a large number of people in this room that probably have an idea or something that you want to catapult into the world. And then there's a large number of us that like to create excuses for why we can't possibly go after that thing. And the thing is, Tomorrow is something temporary that we set up so that we could worship it because it would mean that we would never have to start the fight it would take to start today. I think so much of the creative process is about fighting. You know, I thought when I first became a writer that would mean that the coffee would always be fresh and the windows would be wide open and I would be typing on my computer so happy and little woodland creatures would be doing my hair, whatever it is. (laughs) Anybody who is a writer in the room, you know that's not what it looks like at all. The coffee is always stale. Uh, The words never want to come out. Oftentimes, it's been three days since you've showered or three days since you've changed your clothes, but luckily, we are in a big minimalism craze, and so you could just say, this is my uniform. This is what I wear every day, when in actuality, I just haven't changed my clothes. The fight looks a lot different than the fireworks, and that's hard because we live in a world that talks really loudly about the fireworks and neglects the process. I, I mean, I think that every time I sit down to write, anytime time I sit down to do something that scares me, that fight ensues because that resistance wants to keep you, keep you from getting to cross the threshold. I mean, just yesterday I was sitting down and I had to finish a chapter by the end of the day and I called my friend and I was like, I need some sort of inspiration. And she was just like, well, I just heard in my head Tom Hanks telling Meg Ryan to go to the mattresses. Any of you've got male fans in the room? It's also known, though, that every guy in the room probably knows it's not a you've got mail quote. It's a godfather quote, right? And so I went back. I, like, Googled the quote, and and I watched the scene of Tom Hanks telling Meg Ryan to go to the mattresses. And it was really, like, inspiring to me because he was saying, you know, like, you just need to fight to the death. You think it's personal, but it's business. It's not personal. It's business. Go to the mattresses. You think that you're not brave enough, but that is not the point here. There are a lot of people in this room that we have to go to the mattresses. We have to sit down and start the fight. And that's the reason why nothing has come out of us yet because we haven't even sat down. I was working out at the gym a couple, um, a couple months ago and I got one of those free uh, personal trainer sessions that you work out with the person. And we're there on the elliptical and we're going. And he just says to me, he's like, you know, you remind me like of a buffalo. And I was like, well... That's interesting, like, that's not the thing a girl wants to hear on the elliptical. Um, (laughs) But I'm a weirdo, so I'd rather you call me a buffalo than tell me I'm beautiful. So I was intrigued, and I was like, "What what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, buffalo are an interesting animal. Most animals, when there is some kind of storm coming through, their first instinct is to run and hide. But the buffalo, something clicks into them, and they realize, you know what, I am not going to be able to hide from this storm. This storm is going to hit me, and so I might as well charge into the storm, and I will get out of it quicker. It's deep, right? Y'all, don't even be amazed by the trainer, though, because I walked by him at the gym, like, a few weeks later, and he was telling another woman the same story. And so I'm like, this is your pickup line. I get it. But I think a lot of us in this room, we need to be buffaloes. We need to get ready for this fight because you know what happens in a fight is you grow and you develop and you morph and you become someone. Substance forms within the fight. And the thing is, no matter how much we advance, the process of being a writer or a photographer, whoever it is that we want to be in this world in 2016 is no different than what it was 100 years ago. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. Stephen King said, if you want to be a writer, you must do two things above all others, read a lot and write a lot. There is no way around these two things that I'm aware of, no shortcut. My favorite author, Joan Didion, she wrote, I write entirely to find out what I'm thinking, what I'm looking at, what I see and what it means, what I want and what I fear. And I love that because that is just the essence of any creative process. You figure out what you have to say. You figure out what you have to give the world. I made a list of all the elements of my creative process uh, to share with you today. The first one was sit down. The second one was stay seated. Get your coffee before you sit down because you are looking for a distraction to get back up and not have to do the work. (laughs) Set a timer if you're antsy. I sometimes set a timer for 25-minute increments. I will write for 25 minutes. I will get up for two minutes. I will write for 25 minutes. I will get up for five minutes. Write a bunch of sad, bunch of bad sentences, maybe sad sentences, and keep them around for a little while. Keep sitting. Don't reach for your phone. Don't check Twitter. Don't tweet the sentence you just wrote. (laughs) Sit there longer. Don't Instagram the sentence you just wrote. My biggest tip that I could give to anybody who's a part of a creative process is do not bring social media into the process with you. I I watch a lot of true crime. It's like my favorite thing. So if anybody was following along with the big John Benet Ramsey case thing that was going on, I watched all seven of those. I've been following that case since I was 12 years old. But I watched all seven, and I look for any true crime that I can watch. And I've learned a lot about being a detective that at this point, I think I'm just ready to go onto the scene and, and solve some crimes. But I learned mostly that the detective, the first one on the scene, is the one that has to set the boundaries. Because if you don't set the boundaries, people are gonna come in, they're gonna tamper with evidence, they're gonna ruin everything that you have right there to solve that case. In the same way, when we do not set boundaries for our creative process, people will come in and influence that creative process. The second we bring our tweets and our Instagrams into our creative process, that's people's fingerprints getting onto the work that we are going to do, tampering with that evidence. The common theme today in our world is that it is easier to talk about doing the work than to ever really do it. We have a whole pile of excuses for why our Instagram feeds are more inspiring than the work that we are doing behind the scenes. I tell myself all the time, Hannah, you do not need another writing tool. You don't need another notebook. You need to sit down and you need to keep sitting down. And when you think you've dug deep enough, you need to be willing to dig deeper You know, I finished my first um, draft of my book. I sent it off to my editor. Um, If anybody's ever done that, they should like mentally prepare you for what's about to happen when the editor gets their hands on the manuscript. Like there should be a free counseling session with it. Because the editor comes back, like, slash here, that. It's like, that's all my memories it's my childhood. And she's like, it doesn't fit the story. And that's just a side note. Being a writer or being a part of any creative process, like, you have to be willing to kill your darlings, as Stephen King said. The things that you think are the best things might not actually serve the story. And that's how we become self, less self-centered in the creative process, is that we kill the things that we love, but at the same time, Don't get us closer to the end goal. And I mean, you don't have to delete the words forever. I have a uh, document on my computer that just says orphan words, and I put all the orphan words in there. Um, And I, I just keep that there because you never know when things that you have written or things that you have produced are going to come back and be used for something else. But she sent back the um, revisions, and it was all these little marks and scratches and all this stuff, but I will never forget reading her editor letter, and she said, you know, I could be really wrong, but I think you might just be hiding behind a lot of pretty words when you could just come out and tell me how you really feel. That was like a punch to the gut right there. I think that there is a time and a beauty for a time and a space for beauty and description. But I remember at the time I was 25 years old and I treated everything in my life like glass, being careful not to break anything. I wrapped my words in descriptive and eloquent metaphorical wrapping paper because I thought that's what it meant to be a writer. I thought you had to write sentences that people would have to read 3 or 4 times to actually understand. I think there's a time to write about the leaves and how they bow and break off their branches when autumn comes and bids them to die. There's a time to write about the color of his shirt and how you never knew what the smell of home felt like until he wrapped it up and he put it into his suitcase, the shirt with the droopy stripes, and he didn't come back for you. And then there's a time to write, he left, it hurt, and it still hurts. And people will get it. People will look down at the palms of their hands and they will say, he left, it hurt, and it still hurts. And that's the most beautiful thing about writing. It is one of the most rare and sacred ways to connect with other people and help them to feel. People want to feel, but they are afraid of what those feelings will do to them. People want to know that they're not wrong to feel this way, and any creative process lends itself to that in the output The ability ability to give people a Me Too moment. A moment where we in this room feel like we're not alone. Because it's 2016, and I have to say, I feel like it is easier to spot loneliness in this world than it is to spot a rain jacket in Seattle. We are so connected and yet disconnected that the loneliness is at large sometimes and if we don't talk about it and if we don't give people those me too moments then what are we doing in this room if we are not looking to the right of us and we are not looking to the left of us. I once had a really tough conversation with a writer um, who was a reader of my blog And somebody had told me to read her blog and I started reading it and I kept getting emails from people being like, you know, she's starting to really sound like you and her style started to mimic my style and then it was whole sentences and then it was whole paragraphs that eventually I had to email her and was like, hey, can we have a conversation about this? And I got on the phone with her because I wanted to have a phone conversation and I remember being like, I really hope that she just is like, I didn't know that I was copying you. But we're sitting there on the phone, I remember where I was sitting and she just said, Yeah, no, I know that I'm copying you. I started doing it over a year ago, and then I realized that people liked your voice a lot better than my voice, and so I just kept doing it. And she was really young, but I had to tell her, you know, like, the biggest thing that we can do here is we can develop our own voice. We can figure out what we have to say to the world because when we start imitating other people, two things happen. One, we hijack their process. All of the things that ever took for them to build, their, to build their voice, we hijack that. And two, we shortchange our own pro- process. Developing your voice takes time. It takes writing a lot of words. It takes getting honest and getting real with yourself and your readers. Your voice develops in secret places where you scribble on yellow notepads for hours. Your voice develops when you pay attention to how your friends think and speak and act when they are nervous or when they are falling in love. Your voice isn't something you find, it is something you birth. You spend hours in the darkroom just in the way they used to develop film and something is birthed out of you that the whole world gets to witness. Your voice is a combination of thoughts and feelings and places you've gone. Your voice is a night you went and said and asked and celebrated. That's how you make your voice yours and only yours in this world. You live and then you write it down. You go out there, you live, and then you write it down. I want to share one last story with you guys. Um, from about a year ago, I was working on a project, and whenever I get frustrated creatively, I, um, I just look for the nearest patch of woods, and I go get lost in the woods. And so I did this one day, and I was walking underneath a bridge, and I noticed that there was a pillar right in front of me, and it had a big letter R on the front of it. And I stepped back, and I noticed that the pillar next to it had an O next to it. And I stepped even further back, and I noticed that it spelled out P-R-O-M. And there was a pillar on the front of it that said, Sam, will you go to prom with me? This is a promposal. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with this. Promposals are more elaborate than marriage proposals these days. People rent fire trucks and firework shows, all to ask somebody to go to prom. So I'm, I'm standing there and I'm witnessing this and I feel like Sam in this moment. I'm like, oh my gosh. I almost took a picture of it and I was like, that's weird. This is not my moment here. <laughs> um, but for the rest of the time that I am walking in the woods, I am like creating Sam's life in my head, whoever Sam is. I'm thinking about Sam getting married and Sam having 2.5 children and Sam becoming a grandmother. And by the end of it, it all kept coming back to this one question. Did she say Yes. Did they have a good time? Did he ask her how she was doing? Did he lend her his coat when she got cold? How was the food? Did it start a relationship? Did he open the door for her? All these things I'm never going to know. But I think that the world that we live in, like we are so invested in the finished projects, the finished products, that we forget all of the little steps that lead up into that point. Whether you are writing or whether you are doing something else, we like the finished product, but we don't want to commit to the smaller steps sometimes, the ordinary work, the sitting down. If you finish a book or you finish a process or a project, chances are the ground won't shake. When I finished my book, I remember I took a shower and I ate a burger the size of my head and I sat there in that restaurant and I didn't even say anything about that, about the book writing. Because for five minutes, I just wanted to be able to be in love with the truth that it wasn't the craziest thing in the world for me to believe in myself. That I was actually right to believe in myself. There was no bigness in that moment. And I think a lot of times, though, excluding weddings and and hospital rooms and parties where you wear a new age, there's no bigness to the moment that changes their life. There's just you in a quiet room letting things go. There's just you in the bustle of a busy restaurant finally feeling free. And that's what I want for you. That's my prayer for you. That you would get big moments and fireworks moments and mountaintop moments from time to time, but that you would see the real treasure of the creative process will be the days that no one sees. There is a heavy labor that comes from producing something, whether it is a story or a book or an idea or a project, and then there is that release. The solid release and assurance that the pushing is over and it is finally out of you. You can see it in your hands, and you've somehow said all you've needed to say, and it doesn't matter if it is pretty or right or relevant or following all the rules. It's true, and it is yours. It is your truth sitting on the outside of you. And it is exactly all you had to give in a moment when you were asked to give it all. That is what I want for you when it comes to the process of sitting down and doing the work, that when the last sentence falls down or when you walk away from the desk, that you will be able to say... I gave it everything I had in a moment when I was asked to give it all. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed this short look back at last year's event and were inspired by Hannah's talk. We were so inspired by this and her work that we've decided to partner with Hannah to offer an online writing intensive. It's a three hour online workshop on Saturday, August 19th with Hannah, where you'll learn things like the elements of compelling storytelling, breaking the fear, developing a voice, connecting with readers, and so much more. And you learn all of that for only $99. Crazy thing is that there's only 100 seats available for this workshop because Hannah wants to give some personal attention to questions, including the Q&A at the end of the workshop. So again, there's only 100 seats available. Visit storygatherings.com and just click on gatherings and then workshops. In the meantime, we love hearing from you. Email me your thoughts at harris at story.com or tweet them to us. I am at Harris the third, Harris III, or you can tweet all of us at Story by tweeting at Story Gathering. We do what we do at Story to serve you guys, the creative community of storytellers. That includes this podcast. It's all created with you in mind. So to keep you inspired to do your most creative work, let us know how we can serve you best. I can't wait to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening to the Story Podcast.
1: This episode was produced by Harris III. It was mixed by Chad Michael Snavely, and music was written by Aaron Farmer. The Story Podcast is a production of Astoria Collective. Thank you for listening.